0: We want to now turn our attention to the importance of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we turn to God's Word here in Galatians. Let's pray together as we open His Word. Father, we do pray now. We ask in faith that as we talk about the importance and necessity of Your Holy Spirit, that Lord, even now that You would... Fill us with your Holy Spirit and lead us by your Spirit that we may understand and discern these things so that our lives would be further conformed into the image of our Savior. So, Lord, teach us and change us by your Spirit, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Was during World War II, the U.S. and its allies introduced a weapon, uh, a weapon that was one of the many turning points of the war. In fact, it helped bring a decisive end to the European theater of that part of the war. A decision was made among these allies that an intensive bombing campaign would begin over Nazi-controlled areas, especially in Germany, which would, in essence, cripple the German war machine. That was the plan. So a bombing campaign began. It was decided that in this particular campaign that England would lead the bombing campaigns at night while the U.S. would lead these campaigns during the day. Now I'm not sure how we drew the short end of the stick being in the daylight and exposed. I think they were probably still bitter over the revolution. That's my speculation. (laughs) However, that's the way it was set up. But it did not take long, did not take long to realize that this effort to bomb Nazi Germany would come at great cost. In fact, many bombers were shot down. On one particular day, there was as many as 60 lost. 60. But things began to change in 1944. The 8th Air Force who performed largely performed these bombing raids, were given a special weapon in this campaign to help. And this particular weapon was known as the P-51 Mustang. It was a well-made, highly durable, quick fighter that could fly at high altitudes and maintain those altitudes for up to eight hours at a time. And so it was the perfect aircraft, the perfect tool, the perfect weapon both combat and attack, and protecting these great bombers. So in 1944, these bomber units began being escorted by these P-51 Mustangs. And things began to change drastically. Casualties were greatly reduced. The bombing raid became a power punch in the German gut, so to speak. And the war began to take on a new shape. The bomber crews would often refer to their P-51 escorts as, quote, their little friends. Well, we know that World War II has come and gone, but there continues to be a war today. And I'm not talking about the war on terror. That does exist. I'm talking about a war that has been fought for centuries. And it's a war that we don't necessarily see as much as Feel the impact, the internal impact on a daily basis because this war that I'm talking about is a spiritual war and for the Christian, this war is quite intense. It is an intense battle that we encounter and experience on a daily basis. In fact, this war has multiple fronts, multiple theaters, if you will, because we know that we face an enemy, an enemy who has been defeated, and Satan and his army, so to speak, is doing everything that they can to discourage and to impact and to hinder us, knowing they're defeated. We know the world, which is under his sway, so to speak, is, is also against us. But not only that, we have a flesh that continues to battle against the Holy Spirit that has now invaded our lives as Christians. And so the question for us is as we think about this battle, as we think about engaging in this war, how do we do that? Do We just do it by waking up in the morning and saying, you know what, I'm going to give my best today. I'm going to do all that I can. To defeat temptation, to defeat the evil one that's throwing his darts at me. How do we do this? Well, we do this by relying upon the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this in John 14, verses 16 and 17. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Here's the, here's the reality for all of us today. If, if you profess Christ, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you are walking in him, here's the reality. There is a real battle. There's a real battle that is waging in our hearts and souls, and we are unable to win on our own. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, there's a battle that you're most likely oblivious to that will destroy you. And you will never defeat it on your own. So Jesus said he would send a helper. And while the P-51 Mustangs were a significant help to the bombing raids of World War II, this helper is infinitely greater and infinitely better because this helper is the person and power of God himself. So let's look at Galatians 5 and see why it is we need the Holy Spirit and what it is that he does to guarantee us victory in the battle. We, we profess in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I think the Holy Spirit sort of took a little punch there in the creed. He didn't get much credit, much recognition, but creeds can only be so long, I guess. Well, why do we believe in the Holy Spirit? Why is it so invaluable to us that, that we, why is it so important to us that we not only believe in the Spirit, but yet what we're told here, walk in the Spirit? Why, why is he so important? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Why? That we're going to look at this morning. There's many more. But from Galatians chapter 5, I want us to see why it is that the Spirit of God is critical to your life and your health as a believer. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're always welcome here. And what we're going to do is we're going to help you see why you need the Holy Spirit in your life. And how you can receive that Holy Spirit by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. So why, did, why, why do we need the Spirit in the midst of this battle? Number one, he empowers us in the midst of this battle. There's empowerment that comes by the Holy Spirit. You know, I, Honestly, I think that, that as Christians, oftentimes we forget we're in a battle. I mean, how many, how many of you woke up this morning consciously aware that you're in a battle? Well, it's Sunday, so that tends to be pretty intense. Yesterday morning. How many of you woke up yesterday morning consciously aware that you're in a battle? How many of you woke up with Ephesians 6 on your mind, putting on the whole armor? Paul describes this battle as being between our flesh and the Spirit here in this particular context. He says, "'I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh.'" For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. There's the battle. As a Christian, there's the presence of the Holy Spirit, but yet there's the lingering presence of the flesh, this side of heaven. And they are opposed to each other. Those hardships that you go through on a particular day, you tend to point to other factors. Well, so-and-so, if they didn't exist, my life would be a whole lot easier. This circumstance didn't happen. If that didn't, Does the Bible not tell us that our battle is not against flesh and blood? There, there is a real battle taking place, and it's not people that stand opposed to you. Well, there are probably people that stand opposed, but... But there's an underlying cause of that. The flesh, our sinful nature, the, the sin-desiring aspect of our whole being. That's When Paul uses the word flesh, that's what he's referring to. When he's talking about the Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, the renewed heart made new by the Holy Spirit. And now there's this opposition that's taking place within us. Prior to our conversion... The flesh, our sinful nature, ruled us unopposed. And that's why some of you realize this morning that things were a lot easier before your conversion than they are post-conversion. You only had one ruler, and it was your flesh. It was the, the, the evil, the sinful nature, and that's what you lived by. There was rarely any kind of conflict, maybe just conflict between evil desire and evil desire. But now the presence of God is in you through the Holy Spirit. And step by step, in a progressive manner, He is weaning you from your flesh. And it's not a pleasant experience. At that moment of conversion, the Spirit, you can think of it this way, began His ground invasion of our flesh. And it was at the moment of conversion Receiving the Holy Spirit is not a second blessing that comes at a later point in time. At the moment you believed, you were sealed with the Spirit of God. He came to indwell you. He came to live, reside in you, to empower and enable you. It's where you and I live every single day. This battle is not one that should cause you to wonder who will win. You're truly a Christian, the Spirit has guaranteed your victory. Yet there are still skirmishes taking place, and those skirmishes are real skirmishes. We should not take them lightly. They're painful. And that's where we live on a daily basis in the midst of these skirmishes. You see, the situation with the Galatians was a a somewhat of a complex situation, although it's pretty easy to pinpoint throughout the letter. They, They had originally embraced the gospel to be received by faith to trust in Christ gospel came to them they believed in the gospel they were born again they they came to Christ but at some point along the way they began to go back to depending on works of the law to make them right with God so they would still say yes faith in Jesus is necessary but but one should also be circumcised one should also follow the aspects of the law in order to be counted righteous in order to be considered a Christian and Pauls he doesn't mince words here, if you've ever read Galatians. He doesn't take the time to really uh, pat them on the back. I mean, he, he, he welcomes them in the first five verses, and then he says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you. What's your problem? Instead of trusting in Christ alone, they were now depending upon their own works. And he was helping them understand what life looked like as those who had been freed from the burden of the law. He's saying, listen, you have been freed from this. Salvation is free. You've embraced it. Now you're going back to slavery because the law only brings slavery. He wanted them to live as free people, not as slaves. And yet he realized that that there could even be confusion on what that freedom looked like, that, that this particular freedom was not an open permission slip to indulge the flesh, but rather to enjoy the, the works of the Spirit, the, to walk in the Spirit. He, he was not espousing this mindset that what, what we call in theological circles antinomian, anti-law, but rather was encouraging them to enjoy life in the Spirit, but knew that such a life would be under constant, constant attack even within our own flesh. And so Paul being aware of this battle urges the Galatians to walk in the Spirit. Walk means to submit. Walk in the Spirit meaning submit daily to the influence of the Spirit. So what happens? What happens when we do that? You know, sometimes as a Christian we grow weary with the flesh. We, we get tired. We feel defeated. We feel defeated. We often grow conflicted in our understanding of what living as a Christian looks like. Some think, maybe this is you, I don't pretend to be a mind reader, but I know some Christians think, and it's very tempting to think this way, that as a Christian, if if I become a Christian, then then all of these struggles that I, I struggle with, surely they'll go away. And then they're caught off guard when those struggles are still present. As a Christian. And then you begin to doubt. Well, am I even a Christian? I, a Christian wouldn't struggle with this. And so they get to the point of doubting their salvation because they struggle in a particular area. Well, I think there, there, are, there are things we need to avoid in understanding what the Christian life will look like. We, we shouldn't be naive in thinking that as a Christian we'll never struggle again. You read Paul. Romans 7, he, he was a man who struggled intensely. Some were naive, thinking, well, I won't struggle with these particular areas anymore. And, and some will even doubt their salvation because they do struggle with certain things. Instance, the, the key word I'm using here is struggle. The presence of struggling, meaning you're wanting to get beyond a particular habit or a particular lifestyle or a particular issue because you want to honor Christ, but yet you find yourself entrapped time and time again. The presence of struggle is a good thing. Non-Christians don't struggle with sin. They just don't. Christians are the one that wrestle with that and struggle with that. So I'll often tell people, if you're wrestling with this and, and you're disgusted with this, and you, for that is the spirit most likely in your life revealing that to you and helping you see you need to walk in him and not gratify your flesh one reason we must give ourselves to walking in the spirit is because that's the reason that's the only way we can overcome the flesh he empowers that some christians think that i can't overcome the flesh so i'll just live in the flesh no Right here, where it said, walk in the Spirit. We're commanded, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify your flesh. You will not cave into those desires. Walking in the Spirit requires us to look to Him and not to ourselves. In John 14, in fact, in John 4, chapter 14 through 16, Jesus said the Spirit would be given as our helper, and He would do several things in our lives. He would teach us, He would guide us, He would remind us, He would convict us. His presence to help us comes in very practical ways as He does these things. So if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian and you are living life as a Christian, you you know, based upon God's Word, that the Spirit of God is present in you now. He is. You have the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes, there will be in the midst of this struggle the the need for us the the even before the struggle for us to cry out for God to give us power and strength instead of looking in what can I do if I would just do these seven things I would quit sinning if I would just do this and that if I would just surround my people with or surround myself with these kinds of people not these kinds of people all of those things yes are helpful but friend if you're not looking to the spirit of God you will stumble and you will fall You must look to the Spirit of God and walk in step with the Spirit of God or you will fall. It's just that simple. You know, oftentimes we will be in the midst of the struggle and we will ask for God to give us power and strength. How many of you have ever prayed that? Everybody raise your hands. Lord, give me power and give me strength. That's actually a wrong prayer. He's already given you that. You have the Spirit, don't you? Peter says that we've been given everything necessary for life and godliness. It's not a matter of us needing additional resources that God's holding out on. He has given us everything. He has given us His Spirit. He's given us His complete revelation. He's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Our problem is not the need for further resources Our problem is that we are not accessing the resources he's already provided. Namely, his Holy Spirit. You know, as Christians, we're often too passive in this battle. But we do have the responsibility to fight through the empowerment of the Spirit. Peter says in 1 Peter 2.11, Abstain from the passions of the flesh. Colossians 3, 5, Put to death what is earthly in you. Romans 8, 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That's pretty straightforward. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The Spirit of God is absolutely necessary to be empowered to walk in righteousness, to fight against sin. Why do you need the Holy Spirit? Because He is your life source. He is your strength. He is that which you need every single day to get you through, to to present yourself in a way that's consistent with the character of Christ. It is the Spirit of God who equips you, who teaches you, who who gives you these these gifts to serve, to walk, to, to bring glory to God. He empowers. That's number one. Number two, he distinguishes. When you consider what it is the Spirit of God does, he does empower us. That's why Paul there in verses 16 and following says, walk in the Spirit. Now, what does he do? The question that we need to to answer is, how does one know when he or she is walking in the Spirit? We know he empowers, therefore we should walk in him. How do I know that I'm walking in the Spirit? Well, Paul gives us some objective criteria by which we can evaluate whether or not we are walking in step with the Spirit. Some objective criteria for for us to distinguish even between those who are walking by the Spirit and those who are walking in the flesh. Friends, listen, this is not rocket science. It really isn't. Paul says here that it's evident, obvious. Look at the criteria, number one... by the way, he, he talks about works of the flesh versus living in the spirit. So let's look at works of the flesh. Actually, Paul lists here about 16 examples of fleshly, sinful actions or attitudes. He doesn't just talk about actions. He also talks about attitudes, which, by the way, reminds us that sin is more comprehensive than we tend to give it credit for. Sin is not just doing something wrong. Sin is... is thinking and meditating and and it's impacted all of our being it's not just actions it's involving attitudes and motives and on and on we can go he gives 16 examples so I think it's easier for us to categorize them in four groupings now we could spend a whole sermon series on all of these but let me just walk through them relatively briefly so you can get a taste in your mouth to, to see what it is that characterizes those who are walking in the flesh and not by the Spirit. Number one, he talks about sexual sins. He talks about sexual immorality, which is, in essence, sex between unmarried people. He talks about impurity, unnatural sexual practices, or sensuality, the lack of restraint in this area. So so he hits all of this area coming at Using, very, uh, using different words, but describing the same area of struggle. He's saying, listen, if you're walking in these things, if this is the constant pattern of your life, it's reflecting that you may very, be, may very well be one who's walking by the flesh. He goes on to a second category of fleshly characteristics, and that's one we could call superstitious sins. Idolatry and sorcery, for example, specifically, specifically occult and pagan religious practices. Idolatry here really has, has more to do with the establishing of an inadequate substitute for God, relying upon that and giving, giving service to that, or sorcery, which is the attempt to manipulate or fake the work of the Spirit. The the main issue in all of this is is lack of trust and belief in God and a dependence upon other sources. Idolatry and sorcery. Superstitious kinds of sins. Number three, what we could call relational sins. These are big. These are sins that disrupt community life. Enmity. An attitude of hatred that lies at the root of discord. Strife. This idea of this contention that divides people. Jealousy. Really is a, a, being consumed with self-glorification. Fits of anger. Uncontrolled temper that lashes out at people on a regular basis. Rivalries. This, this idea of selfish ambition. Honoring yourself above others. Dissension. Division in a community due to sin, most likely. Divisions, selfish exclusivism that creates division. And most likely, Paul was probably hinting that this here was doctrinally motivated in this particular instance. But all of these are what we could call relational sins. All of them have something to do with other people. Are you one who walks in these things? Are you one who's continually bitter or angry or Expressing yourself without restraint, which leads me to the fourth category, what we could call unconstrained sins. He talks about drunkenness and orgies. Both speak to the excessive abuse of alcohol and sex that leads to indulgent lifestyles. While these things appropriate in their appropriate context and moderation are not forbidden in scripture, the uncontrolled use of them certainly are. Do you walk in this? Are you dependent upon these things? Is your lifestyle being governed by these things, dictated by these things? Are you living a lifestyle that is unconstrained? Paul concludes and says, and things like these. Just in case you were saying, well, what about this and things like these? Just fit it in that category. All right, It's kind of like the marriage contract at the bottom and other duties as defined by your spouse or whatever. Yeah, it's like that. All of these sins and things like these. Again, this is certainly not an ex- exhaustive list. Those whose lifestyles are characterized, we're talking about a habitual pattern. We're not saying, hey, if you slipped in one of these things or you became, you lost control this week. You were angry at somebody and you lashed out. I therefore must not be a Christian some people think this, they, they take it to that extreme. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the habitual pattern of your life. Do you regularly lose control? Are you constantly angry? Are you, is jealousy something that you just struggle with regularly? These unconstrained sins, does, do these things control your life? These are people whose lifestyles are characterized by such things. And they are indications of those who are not being controlled by the Holy Spirit. And if they continue in such a lifestyle, they will not, the Bible tells us, inherit the kingdom of God. Because it's evidence that the Holy Spirit has never resided in them through true saving faith. I'm not talking about a salvation by works. You do this, you're in, you don't do that, you're in, or vice versa. He's saying, listen, these are characteristics, these are objective criteria by which you can tell if one is walking in the power of the Spirit or not. And if this is the continued pattern of your life, it's evidence that you're not walking in the Spirit because you don't have the Spirit I like what Tim Keller says. He says, For someone continually to indulge in the sinful nature without battling against it is to show that the Son has not redeemed them and that the Spirit has not renewed them. Paul is not looking to undermine Christian assurance, but he is aiming to banish complacency. Works of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not going to go through them all. I just want to refer to them here. He's now giving the contrast, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are marks of those who have the Spirit and are walking in the Spirit. Several things to understand about this spiritual fruit. Number one, it's gradual. Just like a garden. It's going to, you don't plant a seed and the next day go harvest your vegetables. Unless you put something crazy in it. It just doesn't happen that way. It's gradual it takes time for fruit to develop it's inevitable if you truly have the holy spirit therefore a christian you will bear fruit period some will bear more than others but you will bear fruit you could never be a christian filled with the spirit and not bear fruit it's impossible again to quote Tim Keller he said we are saved by faith but not saved but we are not saved by fruitless faith again love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self control these notice here that whereas the works of the flesh were plural the fruit of the spirit is singular these come as a package This list is not here for you to pick out the ones that you're going to be characterized by. He's saying these are the ones you are to be characterized by. These are a package. One can't be seen in isolation from the others. Now now listen, this is important. We could spend a longer time on this and we probably need to, but let me just say this. These These are not qualities of behavior that you can produce in yourself. These are not things that you can read a 12-step a, a a plan on how to cultivate more love. Or, here are seven ways for me to be more patient. While those things can be helpful, practical tools, only the Spirit of God can cultivate these truly in you. Only the Holy Spirit can empower you and create this fruit in you and enable you to walk in these fruits. So let me ask you, what characterizes your life? Is it the works of the flesh or is it the fruit of the Spirit? Paul says such things are evident, meaning it's an easy answer. And our temptation, by the way, is to begin evaluating somebody else besides ourselves. I'm asking you, you. Singular you. What characterizes your life? Can you be proven guilty as one who's walking in step with the Spirit? Or is it evident that the works of the flesh dominate you and therefore may reveal something totally different? Christians, you are regularly called To keep your eyes upon the Spirit, you are called to walk in step with the Spirit. And I just ask you today, are you striving to live in the power and provision of the Holy Spirit? We confess through things like the Creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit. But the next time we bring up the Holy Spirit is in conversation and Bible study. Maybe. Jesus said He is sending Him to be your helper. You need him right now. You need him right now. When we pray before preaching, I know you need the Holy Spirit because if you're depending on me, you're in big trouble. I'm just saying. Uh, something I pray often before I come to preach, I got this from Charles Spurgeon, he's a good friend of mine, he's dead now, but good friend of mine. He would Before he would go to the pulpit every Sunday, he would rehearse over and over in his mind as he made his way up to the pulpit I believe in the Holy Spirit I believe in the Holy Spirit I believe in the Holy Spirit because he knew were it not for the Holy Spirit his efforts were in vain our efforts to gather in this room like this today would be in vain were it not for the presence and power of God's Spirit to enable us to encourage us to convict us to transform us to do the work that is necessary you need him you need the Spirit If you're here today and you're not a Christian, maybe you read through that list and you you think my life is clearly not a life that is one that's marked by the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, when you read the works of the flesh, many of these things characterize me. let me just tell you that there's all the hope in the world for you because Jesus came to give himself for people just like you. And if you would turn from your sin and trust in him, if you would turn away from trying to do it your way and place your faith and hope in Christ, the promise is that you would have everlasting life. That is the promise. The wages of sin, we said it in the fighter verse, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look to Christ and away from yourself, away from the world, and place your hope in him. And you will have life You'll be filled with the Spirit, and you will begin this process of transformation that will be glorious, a, a transformation you could never do, by the way. It's a wonderful promise that we've been given. Christ has made provision, trust in Him. Friends, we cannot, we cannot ignore or underestimate the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There, there are too many of us, I would say all of us, all of us at some point are attempting to live like the bombers of World War II before the P-51s came along. We're trying to take on an enemy that's just shooting holes and wreaking havoc in us because we're trying to do it alone. We need the helper. So When you stand to sing in just a second, when I quit talking, if that happens, when you stand to sing and we sing the final song and we talk about football immediately after we sing about Jesus, always perplexing to me, but when we leave here today, don't forget, friend, you and I need God's Spirit More today than we ever need Him, and more tomorrow, and more the next day, and more the week after, and the month after. You always will need the Holy Spirit because, friends, you can't do it alone. You cannot. You cannot. And so many Christians are failing and falling and stumbling and living in misery because they are trying to do it alone. Friends, you've been given something infinitely greater than a fighter jet. You have the Holy Spirit. And it is wartime. It is wartime. You need the Spirit. friends. The Holy Spirit is so much more than two words and a sentence in the Apostles' Creed. He is the very presence and power of God who has chosen to take up residence in you. So walk in him. Walk in And you will find victory over those skirmishes. Walk in the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your promise and your provisions and your power. Lord, we realize today that we are a weak people. But Lord, we are a redeemed people. Lord, we thank you that you saw fit to come and accomplish all that was needed for our rescue and for our salvation, and that through the work of Jesus, through his perfect life and his sacrificial death and his victorious resurrection and his promise to one day come again, that through all of his accomplishments, Lord, that we can have hope by placing our confidence and our trust and our hope in him not in ourselves. And one of those great provisions and promises that you have given us is that when we trust in Christ, when we are brought from death to life and from darkness to light, Lord, you've given us your Spirit to empower and to distinguish us from the works and the ways of the world and the flesh. But Lord, you, you give us all that we need through the Spirit, through your Word. So Lord, help us to walk. Help us to walk in step with your spirit. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of your name. And Lord, help us to realize that we are foolish. We are fools, Lord, if we think that we can do that alone. Lord, you've given us your spirit. Lord, help us to walk in him. Help us to submit to him. Help us to look to him daily and to trust, to trust that he is present and he is powerful and he is sufficient. So God, would you forgive us? Would you forgive us where we have looked too much to ourselves? Too much to other people, although others are a gift. Too much to other things, Lord. Help us, Lord, no longer to look to those things, but God, to look to you, to your spirit. God, we very much need you. We very much need your power and provision. And so, Father, help us. Help us to access that. You've given it. There's no need to request it. You've given it. Help us to walk in that now by your grace. Father, you know our hearts, you know our struggles, you know our concerns. Would you move in our hearts and would you powerfully, powerfully transform our lives to be more like our Savior? And Lord, if there are people in this room that don't know Christ, Lord, would you show them even now, throughout the message and even now, Lord, show them. Lord, begin to open their eyes and soften their hearts and show them, Lord, that they cannot earn your approval. But God, that they need one who has, and that is Christ. God, enable them to trust in Him, to walk in Your Spirit, and to receive the glorious blessing of eternal life. Father, we thank You so much for all that You've done in our lives to make us Your own and to give us everything we need for life and godliness. Lord, we thank You we love You. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.